Luke, welcome to Building Futures, our career conversations with industry leaders across the built environment. The reason that I wanted you to come on today was to talk about the biggest issue that we have across our industry. So can you talk a little bit about your job because that feeds into this big issue that we're trying to, to fix across our industry. Yeah, so, so my current role, and it's been a, a winding journey to get where I am right now, but I'm a Quality Diversity Inclusion Manager at Arup. Um, so I look at delivering the total inclusion uh, strategy across the UK, India, Middle East and Africa region. So what I was indicating there is across the industry, there's an acknowledgement that we need, desperately need more diversity and inclusion that we have um, traditionally just talking about gender here, that only 1% of people on site are women. We have 13% across the whole industry. There's underrepresentation of LGBTQ+, um, of different people from different ethnic minorities, from people who are differently abled, people from <laughs> different walks of life. Our industry at the moment doesn't reflect society. Mm -hmm. So in terms of your job, knowing what you know, what would you advise to people who are listening to this who maybe have got a target written on a flip chart somewhere about wanting to improve DEI but don't know where to start and what practical steps to take? Yeah, well, t targets are only good if it's backed up with other action to help you get there. Um, and really, you've got to understand, you know, where, where do your issues lie? And so data is, is huge in this space, if you can. I know for SMEs, that's not always possible because you're a small organization, um, but definitely for the larger um, organizations, you know, collecting diversity information on your employees, you know, so which demographics are you attracting and which ones are you not? And, you know, and interrogate your um, recruitment strategy and approach, you know, so are a certain underrepresented group falling down at a certain stage of your uh, application process, you know, or the selection process and that you can then start to put in solutions to fix that, you know, and then start to look at this diversity and get it to talk to other elements of your employee life cycle. So exit interviews. What, do you have a huge amount of attrition rate for a certain amount, uh, for a certain underrepresented group? And can you start looking at, you know, the the feedback that they give you in those processes. Look at appraisals, who's getting promoted, you know, are certain underrepresented groups, women, not being promoted at the same rate? And you can start to interrogate the different areas of the employee life cycle to see actually where is our issue, where does our focus need to be and what opportunities can we take out of this? So you already I can see how passionate you are about this. So can you explain about your career? Because people, you're obviously very successful. Tell me about your own career and how you've ended up doing the role you're doing now. Yeah, so um, didn't do particularly well at university. Uh, went into a, a, an entry level job, a, a, a contractor. Um, I'm a gay man. I wasn't out, I wasn't open about my sexual orientation when I first joined the industry um, because I was scared of the implications. Um, you know, I thought that it would have, you know, a, a, an impact on, on my progression, basically. So I didn't disclose it. And it was only until I saw that this organization had a staff network, so an LGBTQ plus staff network. And that sent me the message that actually, it's okay to be open and, and, and you can be yourself in this organization. Uh, so I got involved in, in that network. Um, 
I started speaking and, and finding people similar to me and, and found that, you know, my experience wasn't a one-off and actually, you know, those microaggressions, et cetera, that we face are, are quite universal in the industry. Um, and so we wanted to do more and everything was really London-centric and, and I'm based up north and, you know, there's only a few of us that were part of the network up north. And so in London, they had this inter-network in the industry called Building Equality, which is an alliance of construction, engineering, built environment organisations that, that work together um, to drive LGBTQ plus inclusion. And so I basically took the idea that they had down in London and franchised it up into Manchester um, and started connecting with, with individuals from the RICS, WSP, um, and it really just snowballed. You know, we, we took part in our first Manchester Pride in 2017. We had about 40 people join us. And the following year, we had the best part of 200 people join us in that. Wow. So really did sort of kick off. And, and that's where as a group, we also realized we could do so much more than just Pride. Like the visibility is great, but actually we know there's issues within our industry. And at that time, Construction News were actually doing um, surveys on LGBTQ plus experiences. They don't do it anymore. I'm not sure why, um, but they don't. And, and so we used that data to develop a couple of solutions that we could use across our industry, particularly on site. So we developed a, a poster campaign focused on uh, microaggressions that the community face, you know, that could just be put up on site boards, offices, you know, to, get, to understand that saying that's so gay is actually, you know, offensive and can make people recoil and go within themselves, you know. And there were some quite quirky ones in there as well where we, we flipped them on the head. So I'm sure, you know, we had one that said, that's so, um, what was it? That's so, no, I don't mind if you're straight, just don't flaunt it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so it was to flip it around to go, actually, your ignorance is being highlighted to go, you say that, how silly it sounds. Um, and then alongside that, we developed the LGBTQ plus inclusion toolbox talk and expanded that for the allyship toolbox talk that could be delivered on site, you know, within 30 minutes to all operatives to sort of lay out, give, give a bit of background information on the community because, you know, a lot of our workforce comes from Section 28 and that, that that was a bit of legislation in the UK where schools were allowed to educate on LGBTQ plus identities. And so a lot of people don't really understand the differences or the language and the terminology. And so we thought we had an opportunity to go out there on site and educate this out. Um, and it was fantastic. You know, it's been used by hundreds of organisations, thousands of operatives have undertaken the, the training. It's won awards um, and really did help change the landscape for LGBTQ plus inclusion in the industry. So where could anyone find this? Because this sounds, if given it's won awards, this sounds excellent. Is it, does it have to be delivered via the organisation? Is it something that people could deliver themselves? Yeah, no, so we purposely made sure that everything that we created was free to use. Amazing. Um, and we put the script in the notes of the slides so anybody can pick it up and, and you know practice the script and deliver it because we wanted it to reach well beyond construction engineering we wanted it to reach far and wide and, and, and make sure that anybody could deliver it absolutely and you saw the impact did you when you started doing it you immediately could see that it was a you felt it was almost an educational gap 
Yeah, and it, and it, yeah, and it allowed people as well to become greater allies to the community. Yes. You know, a lot of the time people are afraid to get involved because they're afraid they'll say the wrong thing. Yeah. And this was sort of just spelling out to them the terminology you can use and maybe this, the terminology you shouldn't use and giving them that extra background to go, actually, I can stand up for this community. I don't have to, you know, be part of it to yeah. stand alongside them. And so I think it was very empowering. Amazing. And so for you then in your own journey, you, you kind of, you, you mentioned you started working for a contractor and now you work for a consultancy. And what was, was there a step along that way in terms of coming more towards the role that you're now doing? So it happened more in your own time, it sounds like, and then it became more yeah, of your job. Yeah, so there's a lot of extracurriculum activity that I was doing on top of, of my day job. Um, so I actually started working in, in work winning, in, in bidding. Right. Um, and I'm, because then I got involved with the staff networks and LGBTQ activism, you know, I'd become the go-to person to answer those social value or equality diversity inclusion questions within the tenders. Um, and so it became, I guess, sort of an organic transition into this role where, you know, I'd gone from bidding and now I act at Arup as a, a centre of excellence to support our work winning teams on these responses. You know, I, I help deliver inclusion action plans for major clients like HS2 and National Highways. But yeah, it was, a, it was, as I said at the beginning, it was a winding road to get there. I never knew this would become a career, um, you know, you always think you have to be maybe from a HR background to do this role, but you don't. You know, passion and enthusiasm can take you a long way and, and saying yes to those opportunities, even though you don't know whether that yes is taking you to the part in your career you want it to, but it's got to give you the skills that you can then lean on in other roles uh, in the future. So given that this is such a important part of what's going to change the construction, property and built environment industries, what is it that you can see needs to be done now? So you're obviously, you're not just talking the talk, you're walking the walk, you're actually going out and delivering it. What next? What needs to happen next to make this industry feel home and welcoming to, to everybody? Yeah, it's a good one because there's, there's, not a, there's not a one size fits all, you know, there's no silver bullet that, that's got to solve all our issues. And, and that's why I think, you know, for, for organisations, regardless of sizes, is talking to your people, understanding what your people need, you know. Um, having those employee resource groups or staff networks helps for those underrepresented groups to come together, you know, and feel seen. Um, offer them a platform to share their stories. There is so much power in human stories, you know, because it allows us to have that, that empathy to the challenges that, that people face that we might not be, you know, accustomed to ourselves, you know. I um, very, you know, I acknowledge the fact that I sit here as a, as a white man and so have a lot of privilege from that. You know, other parts of my background, you know, bring that privilege down, but at the end of the day, I'm still a man, you know, and so I'm afforded a lot of privilege for that and I'm still white, so I'm afforded a lot of privilege and it's acknowledging that, but moving my privilege so that I can empower and, and uplift others that don't have it. Which is massive. And I think we want more people because we face as an industry the biggest societal problems that we need to help to fix, like the sustainability of the planet, how do we get to net carbon zero. 
And we'll only come up with the best solutions to those problems if we make it, this feel like home. You, you mentioned earlier that there is a, not just an impact on the community that you're working in in terms of the built environment, but there's a societal change impact that you think it adds, it adds social purpose to what mm -hmm. we do when we talk about DNI. Can you explain more about what you think and the impact you think it has? Yeah, well, I think, I think you know, the changes to social value in the UK and, you know, the, the PPN that came out a couple of years ago that mean all tenders now have 10% social value and that includes equal opportunities and, you know, economic inequalities and it's all intrinsically linked with EDI and how do we, how do we uplift our communities and, and delivering that social value is about those, those local needs and understanding what are those local needs and how do we uplift those underrepresented groups and support them to come through our industry, um, you know, from those non-traditional routes, you know, so apprentices and internships and making sure those internships are paid because if you're in underrepresented groups, chances are you're also from a lower socioeconomic background and you're not going to be able to do these unpaid work experience or internships. And so we've got to, you know, make the opportunities that we offer to our communities equitable, you know, so that we can reach them. Um, and we've got to sell ourselves a bit, a bit better sometimes. <laughs> Don't we just? <laughs> you know, I totally agree. It's not all about muddy boots on a site. There is so much more, you know, and, and the digital element like has come on so much over the last few years. I'm no expert in it, but like the kids are all about that, you know, and TikTok and comms and, you know, there's so much more to construction than just, you know, being out on site. There is so much more and I think we could do we could reach so many more people if we just sold ourselves a little better. Well, and, and this is, was the reason that we wanted to do these, uh, these conversations, was because we know that we have so much that we can change. We, there's also so much that we already do as, a, as, you know, as our industry. We make sure that we have clean water, we make sure we've got roads and highways, we make sure that we have buildings where people can be treated, educated, uh, live, etc., meet and work, social time. And yet we are very poor at selling actually the impact that we make on society. And I think there can be these stereotypes as you just said of, of muddy boots and cold on site and and actually it's so much more than that because it's everything from architecture yes all the way down to muddy boots on site but also then the maintenance of buildings as they progress mm -hmm. so it is interesting how we make this more this career uh, attractive when you reflect on your own career what was there any pivotal moments where you go that was a moment that was really important yeah, there was, and it always sticks with me. And it wasn't. It's not a particularly positive experience, but but sort of was what spurred me on to sort of continue doing what I'm doing. And it was a colleague that that said to me, "You do know because of your your sexual orientation, because you're gay, you're going to have to work twice as hard in this industry to make it." And I sort of thought, you know, I, you don't mean that in a in a in a way to upset me, but as a way to sort of I don't know warn me of some of the barriers within this industry and I sort of have mauled over that over the years on that that statement and you know there is probably some truth in it you know that you know if you're a woman or if you're from an ethnic minority background or if you're disabled you know there is greater barriers that you face not just in our industry but but society uh, and, in, and in other industries that we need to work together to break down um, and so I think I always remember that because it spurs me on to go 
we're not there yet, so we need to continue. Yes, absolutely, which is why we want to have conversations like this. Yeah. Um, so, so when you look at you know, the success that you've had, and you were, if you were talking to either your sort of 15, 16 year old self, or if you were, we put you in front of children now, what, what top tips would you give them about their careers and how to, if, if, uh, life hacks or just things that you do that you've done in your career that's got you to where you are now? Yeah, so I definitely tell myself to go to more lectures at university. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was going to life hacks or, or speak to myself. Um, you know, it, it comes back to that that point around opportunities uh, and saying yes. Um, you know, and, and networking, network, network, network. You know, there's that old saying that it's not 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 what you know, but who you know. Actually, is really powerful. Um, and I think you know by having those connections through building equality, you know, and knowing people at all those different organizations, it's helped me when I've wanted to grow and maybe move to another organization because I've known people that work in it already. And so I can sort of lean on those relationships to assist. Um, so networking is key, saying yes is key. Um, and like, not everything has got to work out as you plan in your head and there's gonna be bumps in the road and there's gonna be hurdles and barriers that you hit and that's okay and that's actually gonna help you develop uh, and make you be stronger. Um, so don't be discouraged by them, sort of, you know, take them as they come and, and, and sort of run with it. Excellent, thank you so much, Luke. I found that really practical actually because I think a lot of people want, know that they want to make their communities organization team feel more inclusive um, but actually don't know how to do that and I think you've given some really good practical examples of how we can make our industry feel more inclusive and home for more people so thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today no worries thank you for having me